Well, um, I think with Stephen King, it's not so much bread and butter. It's more just fucking Coke and whiskey. Radio Drome. Welcome to a horrific episode of Radio Drome. I am Josh Hadley. With me, as always, is Crow T. Robot himself, the Cecil. That is me. That is you. I wish I had something more exciting to say. Well, but then there may be the Canadian monkey man who can make baby. Peter has something more exciting to say. Yes, welcome to... Uh, uh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> Clear your damn throat, boy. <laughs> guys, if you want to help out the show, if you guys want to help yourself out a little bit during the quarantine and all the COVID nonsense, go to adamandeve.com. Use the promo code DROME, D-R-O-M-E, and you will get 50% off of a single item, three free DVDs, a free sex swing, and free U.S. shipping, all for using the promo code DROME at adamandeve.com. You guys need a VPN. With everyone stuck at home still, everyone out of work, everyone's online, and it's a dangerous place out there. So you need the digital condom that is NordVPN, a virtual private network. Go to 1201beyond.com backslash VPN, and you'll be taken to Nord's site. And through that, you'll be able to get 75% off of a three-year plan. That's only $3.75. 79 cents a month for Nord's protection where they will encode your data, they'll protect your data, you'll be able to get around region locking, you'll be able to visit some of the darker parts of the internet. That's 1201beyond.com backslash drome VPN. I'm a reader. You guys are both readers. Horror authors and horror writing is is something that has always sort of been there in in our lifetimes and well before that. What do you think makes a good horror author? There's lots of great horror authors that are out today. There's lots of people who write these short stories, lots of ones I grew up with in the 70s and 80s. I think it all goes back. Well, a lot of people might say Edgar Allan Poe. I'm actually going to say what we think of as a horror author really goes to H.P. Lovecraft. Yes. That, that's, not, that's not discounting Poe, but when you think of horror, you don't think of Poe. He's more suspense. He's more thriller with some horror elements. Lovecraft is freaking horror. One, one of the first horror stories or short stories that I ever read, and one of the ones that really impacted me a lot, was the account of Randolph Carter, of course, by Lovecraft, which I just thought was brilliant because it was such a great tale of sort of somebody who is relaying a story. It, it's sort of basically just the account of this character, and I really always thought that was a, that was just a great tale. I got into Lovecraft in a very odd way. I think... People probably 
did you know i'm sure i'm not the only one there was an album uh that came out from a band called obituary called uh cause of death and it was a death metal album the cover of it is this beautiful painted thing where uh there's a, a big eye and a tree with a guy trapped in a big spider's web i was in a bookstore and i saw that cover was used i don't know which one used it first but it was used for a collection of short stories from uh from hp lovecraft and i was like well holy crap you know if this if this you know if obituary is using it and they're you know this this hp guy is using it i'll check it out and then i was like oh this is you know this is really creepy and weird and that was how i got into it like i never really had heard of him much you know before that because i was stupid so (laughs) but uh i think that um he he definitely is still influential i mean i sent you the thing the other day where there's still people that are trying to um use his material but simultaneously we'll talk about how awful and evil and racist he was and it's like he apparently wasn't awful and evil and racist enough for you to not try to capitalize on him when it comes to horror writing now i know these predate poe and predate Lovecraft. There's Frankenstein or the Modern Prometheus by Mary Wollstonecraft Shelley. There's Dracula by Bram Stoker. Those are hugely influential books. As an author, people don't really look at their other work as being influential as a horror author. Because I want to talk more about horror authors than the specific books. You look at something like Richard Matheson. Not just I Am Legend, but so many of his other stories. Richard Matheson was a true horror author. And then you also have things like, this isn't personally my style, but we cannot overlook what Anne Rice did for horror novels. I personally don't like her work, and I cannot stand her writing style. So overly descriptive on things. She can spend two paragraphs talking about what the curtains look like in the room. It, it, to me, it's, <laughs> it's so plodding and takes forever to get anywhere in anything Anne Rice writes. There are people who really love her work, and we can't deny what she did. We will get to Stephen King and Dean Koontz later, because that's a huge one. But then there is the children's sort of horror. There's R.L. Stein, Or then you've got Ray Bradbury, which is that weird amalgamation. Ray Bradbury exists in that weird world where it's horror, but it's not family-friendly horror, but it's also not graphic splatterpunk-style horror. Ray Bradbury's in a weird area to himself. He had a style all of his own. And you had like Harlan Ellison going from science fiction to crime thrillers, and he would write oh, horror Harlan stories. Oh, definitely deserves uh, to be on that list for sure. You got William Peter Blatty, Poppy Z. Bright, Joe Lonsdale, Jack Ketchum, Clive Barker. What to you is a horror author? Is it someone who only writes horror or is it somebody who can just write something that is just so goddamn impactful? Like Harlan Ellison is mainly known for his science fiction work. But then you look at something like I Have No Mouth and I Must Scream and it's definitely a science fiction story. That yes. is a goddamn horror story as well, isn't even, it? Even somebody like uh, like Philip K. Dick has written some like very horror-oriented stuff like there is a story in one of his um, omnibus or omnibuses or whatever, one of his like short story books, this dude that gets like abducted by aliens that basically end up, he thinks that he's this like brilliant teacher, this brilliant mind, and they end up basically throwing him on like a space 
a space-sized uh, skillet to cook him because these are just aliens that want to like eat people or even a story like uh, Dr. Dr. Blood Money that's like this post-apocalyptic horror tale of, of somebody that's just trying to put their message out into the world or whatever so it's like this this does happen with 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 writers that are mainly considered to be sci-fi writers but at the same time they're very much writing a lot of horror tales at the same time the same thing with with Harlan Ellison like I have no mouth and I must scream like that is really literally one of the scariest stories ever like it's it's incredibly brutal it's incredibly savage it's really just anti-life like it's it's a great story and and i think that that some of these writers that are that are predominantly known for doing sci-fi stuff you're gonna find a lot of really great horror influence stuff in their works as well just because of the ways that that uh, that their brains seem to function it's it's really fantastic well first i want to say um i'm more um laurel k hamilton than in than uh Anne rice as far as uh vampire fiction goes going into like what makes a horror author i think really it is somebody who primarily writes horror uh somebody like stephen king who like that is their bread and butter is horror mm-hmm. well, um, i think with stephen king it's not so much bread and butter it's more just fucking coke and whiskey somebody like dean koontz where uh oh, yeah. his stuff it's it's science fiction, some of it, but I mean, but it's horror overall and sometimes has like sci-fi. It, horror. It's like science fiction horror, like like Watchers. Watchers is basically a science fiction horror story, like experiment gone wrong that ends up rampaging and killing a bunch of people. Like that's that's a really great plot. And yeah, a lot of his stuff is that. So I really feel that uh, if you primarily write horror now, granted, it's it, like you like we just said, varying degrees of horror. If it's dramatic horror, sci-fi horror, comedic horror, uh, but it's still at the end of the day, it's horror. I think that's what uh, will make somebody a horror author. It, it can just be situational. Whitley Stryber, you know, he wrote Wolfen, and I, I think that it's not a scary book but it has horror elements to it. I know Cecil will agree with me because he's terrified of aliens and alien abduction stuff. You tell me that Communion is not an absolutely goddamn terrifying novel to read. Oh, God. <laughs> it is terrifying. And the the movie even, I think, is, is good. But yeah, it's cr- like really uncomfortable. Mm. I, I don't like it. Stupid aliens. <laughs> Goddamn big-eyed, white-faced aliens! Oh, well, I, still, I still think one of the one of the scariest movies ever made was *Fire in the Sky*. Oh yeah, the last that twenty terrifying. minutes. That last oh, twenty minutes. Good is lord! Just, is good insane. lord! I made the mistake I once watched... of I made the mistake once of watching that before bed. Wow, was that a, was that a bad decision? Oh my uh, god! I just watched the the cleaned up uh, the McPherson tapes. If you've ever uh, heard of that, it was oh a, my god the alien found footage movie. And I'm like, man, I forgot just how creepy this was. <laughs> it's it's horrifying. It really it's just unpleasant, you know. And they did a good job for how like they had no money. Ugh, stupid aliens. That is one of my <laughs> that is one of my like things like bugs and aliens. I don't like Same. either of them. Giant giant bugs or aliens probing you. That that's some yeah. that's some terrifying stuff. When it comes to horror writing, what do you think is more effective? Atmospheric, slow paced, or I don't like the splatterpunk movement that came out in the nineties because it seemed it seemed to be more into the gore and the torture. It, it almost seemed to be more like 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 what torture porn 
that term used for movies, but for books. And it was, it, it wasn't yeah. horror just to have pages and pages of people having their skin ripped off to me. Well, they got to that point where like Clive Barker was probably getting pretty popular and they were like, just basically writing about violence essentially. Cause they, they thought that that's what was going to be like the big thing was just talking about like gore and probably due to not only Clive Barker, but like the crow comic books, the spawn comics, like they thought violence was going to be like the next big thing. I, I, I can't disagree with you, but at the same time, I, I just, I never understood why the Splatterpunk thing got so big. Because at first when it started, you, you saw, okay, this is a new thing. You know, they're they're going into new territory and was definitely influenced by Clive Barker. No argument there. Oh, for there, sure. For, absolutely. But, both, but with both, Clive, uh, Barker, Clive Barker. Both Clive Barker and probably Todd McFarlane. Like those two names were like, they were huge in the in the 90s. And it was definitely kind of a cornerstone of, now stuff is changing, it's more gratuitous, but they didn't understand how it actually worked. You go and read a Clive Barker story with lots of gore, and it's much more, I don't know if this is the right word to use, artful. Right. Than, than it was in this... more cerebral. Yeah. People didn't understand like how cerebral it actually was. And it was also meant to be disturbing. In the Splatterpunk stuff, it was borderline on the prurient side. <laughs> you know, they, they were almost like, I don't mean literally getting off, but they were getting off on the gore aspect. And it's like, to me, that's not horror. Horror is about atmosphere and making me scared for these protagonists about what's going right. to happen. Not, oh my God, we're still having his skin ripped off four pages later. Can we move right. on to the actual plot? This is what would happen not only with books, but like with exploitation movies, with knockoff cinema, with ripoff exploitation. They would kind of see what was popular at the time and they would try to sort of do their own version of it. And this this it's kind of hilarious when you think about it. This does not only happen with movies and TV shows and music, but also happens with literally uh, like literary works. So this is just something that that happens upon every generation. It's like, oh. Clive Barker's popular now. You know, there's some, like, violent stuff that's really popular. So let's write our own versions of it without actually knowing why it's effective. So this, this is something that was just happening. In a way, it's kind of what's happened with horror in movie theaters is that we got, you know, a, a movie comes along. It has some really effective jump scares. Oh, audiences want jump scares. So then all these horror movies come out and it's just every five minutes, loud noise, something jumps at the camera. Right, and exactly. So that's the thing. They saw, well, this book is really gory. Well, why is it gory? Well, uh, or, or, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. This book, this book is, you know, why is it good? Oh, because it's gory. So then you have a bunch of people that just do that version and you get some people who, uh, get into that. I mean, some people, obviously there's an audience for it, but I think in general, uh, they're overestimating me because a lot of times be reading it. And like you said, it's like, all right, um, yeah, this is really disgusting. Can we kind of, <laughs> can we kind of move on? Can something else happen? You know? Then there's the question of where does something like R.L. Stein fit in? Now, when R.L. Stein hit, I was too old. These books were under underneath me, so I never got into so R.L. Stein. Maybe I should talk about it because I was a kid when the Goosebumps books came out. Yeah, exactly. It's like I don't understand what the appeal was. At the time it was not so much the books, but kids were definitely watching the show. Like I remember being a kid when Goosebumps came out. And you would watch the episode like Night of the Mask or whatever, and you would go and you would you would find the 
the book and read it. And oftentimes, actually, a lot of the a lot of the books would actually be a lot creepier than the show itself. There's this great one about this kid that gets obsessed with this like superhero villain, and he ends up finding the villain's like lair and ends up getting tormented by the villain in like real life. And then you would end up figuring out that there are actually creepier children's stories like there was uh scary stories to sell to tell in the dark i believe it was there was also god damn it what was the show called are you afraid of the dark but that one was great that one had like the uh this public pool and kids were getting like dragged underneath and and then you figure out at the end of it that it's like this like zombie monster skeletal thing that's like killing kids and it's like holy crap this is pretty pretty heavy for a kid's show but then the question comes up is R.L. Stein a good way to get a kid into horror? Like, to me, I, would say yes. I, I think Ray Bradbury would say is better. Because Ray Bradbury stuff, like I said, it's it's serious, but it's got a weird wholesomeness to it. To me, Ray Bradbury is well, one of the I, I rare ones that can that, be um, adult and child enjoyed at the same time. I do think that you have to kind of build yourself up a little bit. So I, I do give R.L. Stein credit for it's like the fact that he was trying to get people into horror and it's it's sort of this you sort of have a minimalist version of it whereas you have R.L. Stein and then you can build yourself up to read some Ray Bradbury and read some Philip K. Dick and read some Lovecraft like you're kind of at least I did like when I was a kid that's sort of the way I built myself up to the Lovecrafts and the Edgar Allan Poe's like because by I think it was seventh or eighth grade you know I was reading I was reading The Raven I was reading Call of Cthulhu and in grade five or six you know I was reading Oral Stein so it was sort of a, a way for me to constantly keep learning about all these different horror authors and different horror directors and different horror writers. So I, I do think R.L. Stein is actually a really great way to start. I interviewed David Irons. He's been on the show numerous times before. He's a friend, and he just released his fifth horror book. And I sat and talked to him the other day. So what made you decide you're not going to be making films anymore, but you're going to take your ideas and make them into horror novels? I don't mean this in a mean way. Trashy horror novels. Because I, <laughs> I know that's what you were going for, but th- these are trashy 80s VHS style horror novels. They're exactly that. They're exactly that. I've always kind of known with the 80s stuff, it was it was it just appealed to me like and I know you're very much got a mind this way. And you look at things in the terms of cinematography and color. When you look at the 80s stuff is vibrant, it's interesting, it's got depth, it's got texture. And that was appealed to me when you went into the, the, the 90s and the 2000s and everything just got drab and dreary and everything bled out of it. When I think of film, I think of color. And what's the most colorful decade is the 80s. It's just there, isn't it? You know, like hot neon and shadows and and uh, the, the, the big sunsets in things. And, uh, you know, like all that stuff, the 80s pastels, the 80s neon, everything's there. And it just that appeals to me more than anything else. With the films I was making, I wanted to try and include that. And some of the stuff you've seen, like a set and some of the short films and everything, I included that in there. But to do this kind of stuff, it just costs money, costs time. And I think it's more acceptable now to make things that look that way. And during the, the, the late 2000s, early 2000s, late 2000s, that kind of time period, everything looked drab. And you know, like, everything looked like sore, everything looked boring, everything looked generic. Everything was just like, oh, we're not going to light the thing. We're just going to put a filter over the top of it. That love of the 80s was in there with my films. It did cross over into the books. And something in particular that kind of triggered me to think there could be something in this. Like, you can still do in this stuff. And this is going way back. 
to uh, a review, actually, of a film. I know you hate. I think it's okay. I know it's bad. Uh, and it was the Fangoria review of Return of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre or Texas Chainsaw Massacre, the, new, uh, the next generation. In the Fangoria review, there was a line that said, the filmmakers seem stuck in a 70s bubble. And when I saw the film, I know the film's bad, I know the story's bad, I know it makes no sense. But when you look at that film, there is a 70s bubble over that film. It feels like the first Texas Chainsaw. The cinematography and the lighting and everything feels like that. And I thought if you took that and placed that in a good movie or a good book or something else, then, then you know, if you took that element, like I live in this bubble and this is my thing, I think that could be a positive thing. I think Nicholas Winding Refn's done it with his films. That helped with everything moving forward, like uh, Drive like making color popular again thing that made me switch more than anything else from film to writing prose to writing books was i always have lots of ideas for things you you put 10 good ideas that could be 10 good films on a page you know possibly one might get made in your lifetime if you're lucky and so you've got all these things just sitting around okay i've got an idea for this i've got an idea for a like an 80s style slasher film i've got werewolf in space idea i've got you know that's ideas for all these different things that became quite troublesome and worrisome for me when i saw an interview i think it was i think it was the guardian newspaper when god what was the film what was the richard kelly film with the rock and stifler southland tales it was when southland tales was coming out and he did an interview with the guardian newspaper and he said, and they said something to him about, oh, do you have any ideas for what your next movie's going to be? And he said, oh, yeah, I've got 15 screenplays uh, in a box under my bed, and I know they're never going to get produced, and they're probably stories that no one's ever going to see. And that just really bothered me. Like, why have these 15 screenplays that no one's ever going to see? Like, do something with them. And, and, and it just kind of reflected on myself, and I thought, well, you know, I've got all these things, and potentially no one's ever going to see these things. It was after I filmed my first feature cassette, and it and as we've spoke about, it was the biggest. Like for a two grand movie, it cost about two million dollars worth of mayhem in my life. It was just chaos. It was just too much to take on for one person. I, after that, I was I, I was burnt out, and I was thinking, what am I going to do? Okay, I want to make more films. I made some short films, and then I'd listened to. I was out. I just. Uh, found some way on cassette the audiobook for um stephen king's cycle of the werewolf and i listened to that thing and it was it's, you know it's like two hours long two three hours something like that and i got so much out of listening to this audiobook like you know i laughed when i was supposed to laugh i felt scared when i was supposed to feel scared it, it just that was the, the the beginning of well maybe if i started taking these ideas and putting them onto a page books or ebooks or audio books and telling the stories i want to tell and just describing the things i want to describe okay it's the 80s there's neon this shadow there's a car driving down sunset strip there's palm trees it's night there's a horizon i could get all these things that i like to see described in stories that i want to tell there's also that weird bass ackwards way of getting a story made into a movie. I'm sure you've heard of this, how, oh, I've got this screenplay, nobody's interested. Well, I turned it into a comic book, and now everyone wants to, everyone who wasn't interested before wants to option it as a comic book when they weren't interested as a screenplay. In a weird way, you making these as books might get them made into movies much easier than if you had written them as screenplays. As ass-backwards as that is, that seems to be the system Hollywood operates under now, doesn't it? It really does. It really does. And the funny thing about it is if you go and look at the reviews 
of some of my books on Goodreads and Amazon. The reviews are pretty much people saying, oh, this is, you know, I really like this story. It's very Publishers Weekly didn't like film. you very much, though. Publishers, Publishers Weekly don't like anything to do with horror very much. Let's be serious about it. If you go on there and type in like a Sean Hudson novel or a James Herbert novel or anything like that, anything that's not Stephen King, they're pretty much, yeah, okay, it's trash, it's horror. It's just like anything, especially in the UK Publishers Weekly. The, um... Uh, it, there's a weird stigma to horror here in this country, as there is in many places, probably. I'll tell you something, for example, and this is, uh, it, it relates into something else, but I'll, I'll tell you this first. When I wrote that novel, Graveyard Billy, which is about a cat, a ghost, trying to fight a supernatural killer, and it's kind of a kid's YA, it nearly is a YA, but it's got a bit of an edge to it. I tried to pitch that round to some children's authors just to say, oh, yeah, take this book. You know, it's like a it's a horror story. And all of a sudden, this became a massive problem. Oh, it's horror. OK, you're one of them. OK, what, what does that mean then? Well, you're one of those horror writers. We don't really do that. So I spoke to my editor about this and I said, you know, they they hate me <laughs> like they, they, I can't sell this thing as a YA, like a horror YA. They hate the word horror. And she turned around and said, okay, go back to them and just say, uh, it's a supernatural thriller. Okay, it's a supernatural thriller. Okay, yeah, I've got this supernatural thriller about a cat, a ghost, fighting a supernatural killer. They start looking at it. Oh, this seems quite interesting. This is like one of those Tim Burton things, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I immediately started thinking, that Ed Wood, how do you get all your friends to get baptized so you can make a a monster movie? (laughs) It's not a monster movie. It's a supernatural thriller. It's a supernatural thriller, exactly. <laughs> exactly, it's, it's that. It's exactly that. And uh, and they were like, okay, this is great. Yeah, this is like one of those Tim Burton things. It's a supernatural thriller. And then they looked at some of the other stuff that I'd done. Oh, so you've been writing that horror stuff, huh? Oh, yeah, I've been writing that horror stuff. Oh, I didn't realize you were one of them. This is what, like, if you look at, I mean, you called me a poser the other day. Am I? And it's not taken seriously. It's just a silly Facebook profile picture. And that's why I've got that badge that says, yes, I am a horror writer. Because I, uh, I just made a decision. I was like, do you know what? Yeah, I am a horror writer. That's it. I'm, I'm not going to try and pander to these people and try and make them happy and like change everything about a book. And I've had that. I've had like the most bizarre things ever. Someone, you know, I, I had an agent for a while and they turned around to me. They had Polybius. He was like, we're going to sell this as a children's book. And I was like, you're going to sell this as a children's book? And I don't recall when I read it that a it's a children's book. Well, this is it. This is where it gets interesting because, like, one of the, one of my readers sent me a message the other day and said, "Wow, I just love that scene in Polybius where there's an arcade machine-induced gang rape." <laughs> it's like, yeah, this isn't a kids' book. This isn't a kids, and it's not a gang. It's an attempted gang rape. Big difference there. This guy, this agent, he was like, "Yeah, we're going to sell this as a kids' book," and I was just like, "This is not a kids' book. Trust me, that I can sell this. It's not going to be a problem." So he's spent a year of my life shipping this thing around to publishers, and guess what? They all said, this ain't a kid's book. And so in that time, this is when I wrote Graveyard Billy. And I was like, right, I'm just going to give him something that resembles more of a children's book. So, and I gave him this, like I say, it's like a YA book. Yeah, take this thing. And then when he took it after a year, he said, I've read the book. I've read, I've read, uh, I've read Graveyard Billy. Okay, you read Graveyard Billy. What do you think? I've got an idea. Okay, what's the idea? How about you rewrite Polybius as a children's book, which I've been trying to sell it as, as a year. <laughs> right, that's not going to happen. I thought in my mind, but didn't say at that moment. That was to come in a second. And he said, and why don't you take Graveyard Billy and turn that into an adult's book? (sighs) What are you talking about? And his idea was, well, yeah, this is the thing. It's about a ghost and a cat trying to fight a supernatural, find a supernatural killer. Why don't we turn it into a cat and a cop 
trying to find a supernatural killer. And I was like, you've literally just mixed Turner and Hooch with, with Ghost. Like, no, I'm not doing I'm I'm just not doing this. It's just, it just doesn't make sense because I'm going to rewrite these things. It's going to be another year out of my life. And then it's going to go places and people are going to say, oh, can you switch it back around again? And I just, it just doesn't make sense. And this is why, like I say, like there's this real weird resentment against horror in the publishing america's more open to it. america's pretty good but here you, i mean you can't even uh our equivalent to i mean what is it barnes and noble you have in the states our equivalent here is waterstones most waterstones don't have a horror section you have to look in sci-fi or fantasy to, to find a horror novel and if you do it's probably a stephen king novel your most recent one wolf moon is a sci-fi horror novel that should be in the sci-fi section anyway how different was your thought process? Because this was originally a script that an unnamed producer, who we won't mention, had mm-hmm. optioned, and he screwed around, and eventually you got the rights back. How different was your mindset when you said, I want to turn this into a novel? I want Wolf Moon, the werewolf in outer space story. How different was your mindset that when I wrote the screenplay to when I wrote the novel? I know they're kind of the same but there are Mm -hmm. differences so it's not like a one for one so was it just time had gone by or you thought what worked would have worked on a screen won't necessarily work in prose where you know we've always heard what works on a page won't necessarily work on a screen when i made the decision to swap over the first thing that made sense in my mind was to read lots of novelizations of things i knew just to see how someone took a story I know and, and turned it into words, how they described what visually I know on a page as prose. Really, uh, I, I mean, I've read Alan Dean Foster's Alien novelization. That's a really good book. It's a really, really good book. So it was literally going back to the thing again. It was just describing, it was literally just describing the movie that played in your head. I would say it's better. And the thing is, when you write a screenplay, you're always compromising. Okay, yeah, we can't really have this segment where we talk about, just say, because the thing's set in the future, we don't talk about like, oh, yeah, there's a shortage of food in the future. And there's this gag, you know, like, uh, you know. It feels like an exposition dump in a movie. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And you can just go into that a bit more. And there was this thing that got added at the last the last minute, really, about like, you know, because there's this whole gag about, you know, the, the crew of some this spaceship become werewolves. And on Earth, there's this shortage of meat. Well, ha ha, not anymore. Not when they're werewolves. There's plenty of meat when you're a werewolf. And you can kind of go into things like that and just give everything a layer of a, a whole texture that wasn't there and go into you know more depth about things and um, you talk about well i don't really like the word world building i, I don't know why i don't like that with the term just i don't know that term world building it just i think it's something that you know people just throw around before they've actually got an idea i'm going to world build and create my own cinematic universe okay whatever with this thing you could actually you know lay something on top of foundations that was already there and just thicken that was there just make the the world of this book feel more authentic to what it should be you know like our 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 society in the future of everything now the stuff in there you know where like people are saying oh yeah go and you know plastic surgery is great and uh you know like don't believe it's bad for you know you know new radioactive plastic surgery because that's just fake news and all this and it's little just little things like political things you can put in there like not getting deep or heavy about things but just you know just stuff you it's can it's werewolves on a spaceship i don't think deep is it's not is gonna the proper go word deeper than that yeah exactly yeah it's not gonna go deeper than that but you can put 
things in there to, to that allude to a bigger world and a bigger universe that these things exist in that makes it just more interesting without spending too much time or if it was a film budget you know if you wanted to do these scenes of these big screens selling these like robocop-esque kind of products and stuff that's going to cost a lot of money if you're going to do it in a film and then they see like days and thousands and millions of dollars putting all this stuff together but like you put it on a page and and it's just there you see it exists it exists in your mind's eye you just describe the thing and then it becomes the thing that you've described and, and i mean you've seen the short film based on a music video of seven winters alone which is like dystopian haunted house film which has become a dystopian haunted house book and i remember right that was the first thing I ever wrote and this is like back in 2012 like i, I didn't have a clue what I was doing. I was just like, right, I'm going to turn this into a book. Took this screenplay idea and just padded it out. And I remember getting to to the end of it, like, oh, wow, I've I've just written something badly at the time. I've just done this uh, first draft of something. In that book, you'd basically wiped out all of humanity. There was one person left, haunted by ghosts, uh, in a in a world uh, where they feed off her guilt and there's manifestations of like her guilt coming to life to attack her every night until she can figure out how to stop this thing. And by the end of all this stuff happening, I'd seen it all in my mind's eye and it existed on a page. The, the amount of money I spent, I think I spent like six pounds on a on a on a notepad just to keep some notes of like have this happen. And it's like I've just done all this stuff that I wanted to do to tell a story, and it's cost me less than ten pounds, like less than ten dollars to do this thing. And it's it's more satisfying to me like i say because i've got lots of ideas about things just to do this why did you decide horror because you've you've made short films about Mm -hmm. other things that are not horror you've made short films why are all of the novels you've made so far horror i know there are other genres out there but why not Mm. just a character drama like cassette there's no horror elements in cassette and things like that why Why are, did you decide to be a horror novelist instead of just a novelist? The reason why was because I couldn't, and I didn't at the time, and trust me, horror is my number one thing. Like, it's, and it always has been. It's from an early age. Um, I, I can remember seeing back in the 80s, and I was there, and it was something that my mum said back in the 80s, and that was we was going to watch, I can't even remember what it was. It was a Universal Mummy movie. And she and my mum was just like, you're not watching this thing. And I was like, I really want to watch this thing. And it kept creeping up to the time it was going to be. And I was like, I really want to watch this thing. You're not going to watch this thing. And it got close. I was like, come on, let me watch this thing. She's like, okay, you can watch this thing. And before the film came on, she looked, and I think that was the first horror thing I watched. And I was very young, eight years old, something like that. She turned to me and looked at me and said, you do know that this isn't real. And everything that's happened, happening on there, people were just making this. This is someone's job to make these films. And that in my head just sparked something. And then when I always thought of uh, something creative, something, and it's, oh yeah, people make horror for a living. This can be your life, making horror. So horror was always this very, very important thing to me. It's just like, oh yeah, you, you can be a horror director, you can be a horror writer, you can make horror. And I love horror. Horror is my number one thing in my life. You come look at my DVDs and Blu-rays and books, everything's horror. And when it came to making films, I didn't want to make a bad horror film. You can look at Casting Call, which is, like, quite funnily enough, you could say that is a supernatural thriller. It's, it's more of a thriller with supernatural elements. And Cassette is more of this weird, surrealist teen drama. And our time is this kids on bikes, 80s Spielbergian thing. Seven Winters Alone was a bit more sci-fi uh, dystopian. And I didn't want to make a bad horror film. And I just wanted to, you know, get my licks 
in, in filmmaking in other things. So it's okay, but this is how you direct people. This is how you film something. This is how you light something. This is how you produce something. This is how you write something. And I was just kind of using those things as building blocks until I got to the point where, okay, now I feel ready to do a horror. I didn't want to make a bad horror. And I think I've seen, I mean, we both have, let's be serious. Like we're from the VHS age and you said some of the stuff that went out there was you know look at the look at the artwork it's 10 out of 10 and you watch the film and it's just like zero out of 10 i genuinely in my heart just didn't want to go and do something and then look at it and have regrets like it, it would have it felt like i was betraying something i love so i didn't want to do a bad horror film i oh, trust me like we, we we're saying about you know like uh it's about how i've changed my career into making uh into writing books shall i say but there is that element still of like uh, if i could do if i could do a herc harvey who did carnival one one good horror film he did carnival souls if i could just before i die if i could make one good horror film i can live with that i'm fine i'm I'm good with that like i would like to do that but that's pretty much why that's that's why uh, on film you've seen these things that aren't horror because i just wanted to learn about all these elements like i said directing actors working with people to get to this point i could make something in the horror genre that I'd be proud of. Uh, Night Waves, which you've featured on the show before. There's Night Waves Wolf Moon, which is the, the newest one. Graveyard Billy, which we spoke about earlier on. Night Creepers and Polybius. And there's a short story, where, and I think you'll appreciate this, a short story in an anthology called uh, Abominations, cut from Screaming Banshee Press, which is coming up later on this year, about two... Uh, weekly world news reporters who think they're going to go and report on quote unquote Bigfoot appearance and find out it's something else altogether. It's Captain Caveman. It's Captain Caveman. How how much are are you holding on to your stories? Like let's say let's say a producer comes to you, a, a not Jonathan Slothcott kind of a real producer, <laughs> a, a real producer, yeah, a, yeah, a real yeah. film producer, <laughs> and they want to make Night Waves or Wolf Moon or something mm. like that. Would you just sell the rights and then have it turn into like all of the early Stephen King movies where they barely resemble the source product, <laughs> or, or 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 would you be like, no, 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 if anyone's directing this, it's me. I'll be completely honest. There is a part of me that has a very sick sense of humor where if someone did offer me money for something and you kind of know it's going to be, let's just say it's children of the corn seven level of filmmaking. There is this sick part of me that kind of thinks, do you know what? I kind of want to see this. Like what the, what the, how, how are you going to massacre this today? There is a part of me that thinks that way. Like, of course I would, I, I would sell some if, if the offer turned up. There's certain things I definitely would like to direct a hundred percent, and like something which is doable on a very low budget is Night Waves completely. Like I've read like the screenplay, and, and and you read the book, and it's like set in the town where I live. Like the descriptions of the of the lead character's apartment where she lives. Your girlfriend plays the siren in the it's commercial in the for music it. video. Yeah, yeah, in the trailer in the music video for it. Yeah, exactly. Like everything you've seen. If you go and look at the for the Night Waves music video or the Night Waves trailer, you see what that thing looks like. That 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 and. That, that is something that's doable. I wouldn't need a lot of money to make that film. And I think it could be quite effective. But on the other hand, something like Polybius, and I know in my heart, I know, I know Polybius is the best book that I've written so far. And it's kind of been proven by the people who have got to read it and the quotes given, like Peter Atkins, 
Who wrote the uh, Hellraiser sequel, the good Hellraiser sequels? Um, he got hold of a copy of it before it was released, and he really liked it. He was like, "This is good stuff." You, you know, like keep going with this. This is this is. He, and he said, "This is genuinely this is an '80s paperback." He's wrote an '80s paperback, and that's. I mean, what a compliment when you set out to do something. It's just like someone's turned around giving you the thumbs up, like this. You've done. You've done exactly what you set out to do. But and, on the other hand, something like Wolf Moon. You can't do cheap. You can't do that oh, cheaply, do at cheap. least honest, at least in a decent way, because you, you need sets and makeup and you, you, This is what I mean. And... Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, like, can you imagine what that thing would be look like? Like, just imagine someone said, oh, we want to auction this for you. How are you going to film it green screen? You know it's terrible. Like, you don't, like, you can see in your head what that thing looks like. You know how bad that's going to be. Just say, if you said, okay, it's, it's a werewolf in space shot with a green screen. It's, you know, it's terrible. Like, you just, you can see it in your mind's eye. You've seen these things. These early 2000s director DVD things. It's just going to be, it's going to be bad. It's going to be that bad. You know it's going to be that bad. It needs to be done with some sort of budget. But like I was saying, like, I, I would, if, uh, I know Polybius is the best. I love that book. That's, I'm, I'm quite proud of that book. That, that you would need some money. Like, it would, that would have to be like, a, just say when Stranger Things is, is, is finished, right? Give me the sets. Let's go and make Polybius. Polybius could be something. It could be something really good. It had some money behind it. You, th- there's no option to that. Like, you need some sort of budget behind it. Well, then I guess the final question would be, and this is 100% subjective, does it, <laughs> does it bother you that you're making these really interesting stories and really good novels and that a complete hack like Ernest Cline will outsell <laughs> you by a million degrees? Funny story, this literally uh, a couple of weeks ago did an interview with retro gamer magazine it's going to be published because the, the the first edition of polybius is it's gone it, it went out with a, uh, a publisher called hard copy games and hard copy games they do like indie kind of uh, independent indie games they release some physical copies so you could buy like a uh, an ind- indie ps5 game or something but you can get like a nice box set for it and all this stuff so they had kind of their digs into the into the gaming market and when i put the first edition of polybius out lots of people saw it lots of these games magazines it appealed to a lot of people the, the 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 first edition on it the first edition is on amazon at the moment for 104 pounds it's like probably like 120 dollars because it just sold out it sold out in half an hour people were interested in this and the second edition comes out soon retro gaming magazine got in contact and they were like yeah we want to talk about this because we got a copy of the book and we like the book and you know da 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 and they kind of got onto the the Ernest Klein thing. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna mess around. I'm gonna be straight to the point about this. That that book is terrible. That book is terrible. And I went into a, 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 a bookstore and there's like the science fiction section and there's uh, Philip K. Dick and there's Harlan Ellison and there's Ready Player One. And I'll be completely honest. I picked up that copy of Ready Player One and just threw it underneath the the, the shelf. Like just get it out of it. It just doesn't belong. It doesn't belong there. It doesn't belong there. Like how that thing got published and became popular, I don't know because it literally is referenced the book that. Made Made reference to film and it's just it's just shocking to me like how that got popular my whole thing part part of the reason why there's two reasons why polybius exists and one of the reasons is my girlfriend hadn't seen return of the living dead and i said to her she goes what's it like i said it's funny and it's scary and when it's scary it's scary and when it's funny it's funny she was like yeah okay watched it for the first time and she was like and you got those scenes at the beginning with Bert and ernie and like uh the the, the corpse running around she was like this is just silly this is silly i was like okay 
And then you get to the bit where the corpse is tied down on the gurney at the end going, what the hell is it talking about? Bright up pain, it hurts to be dead, and all that business. And she looked at me and she's like, this is the most terrifying thing I've ever seen in my life. This is horrifying. And her reactions to that fed into why I wanted to write Polybius. And the other thing that fed into why I wanted to write Polybius, the idea, right, Ready Player One is this schlock that Spielberg took and, and made into this like big big budget thing big budget schlock and i thought back to the 70s and the early 80s and it's just like spielberg did jaws and then the, what came out after that there was like roger corman did piranha and part of the reason with polybius like it, what it is what it is and you're saying to me it's a trashy 80s horror novel and i wear that with pride is i wanted to do that roger corman version of ready player one i wanted to do that slimy nasty driving this is Poly- Polybius is the dirty Roger Corman film was feeding off the back of Ready Player One. And that was part of, the, uh, of my ammunition to start firing this thing out onto the page that, that I really wanted that because that, that it, like you say, but then you look at some of these things that are popular now and it just doesn't make sense. But that, for one, is just mind blowing. And it's not authentically 80s or nostalgic or anything else. It's just like literally picking up a Sears catalogue and flicking through it. Oh, yeah, I remember that. Oh, yeah, I remember that. Oh, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I, I don't like it. And this is, uh, Polybius is part of the reaction to that. I would say, yeah, it's a better novel than that. Like, seriously. I know it sounds like an egotistical thing to say, but no. I, there's, I refuse that reality that Ready Player One is a success, and I'll sub- substitute my own with it. Well, so besides, you know, David being a nice up-and-coming writer, and you've got a lot of great writers out there that we're, we don't really have time to concentrate on, like Jack Ketchum and Joe Lonsdale, people like that, that that I've brought up. But we have to get to the eternal debate when it comes to horror authors. Stephen King or Dean Koontz? They are the two big names. Okay, we've got Bram Stoker, we've got Edgar Allan Poe, we've got Lovecraft, Shelley, all of that. They are nothing compared to Dean Koontz and Stephen King. So I don't know if I would say that. I honestly think like Bram Stoker and Mary Shelley deserve a lot more credit. Like these are the people that brought us like Dracula and Frankenstein's monster. Like as great as Stephen King is, as great as Dean Koontz is, like they are good. They have definitely given us a lot of great, like horrific, controversial stuff. But to put somebody like Mary Shelley or a Bram Stoker on the back burner, I don't think that's fair. I'm not saying they're on the back burner. I'm saying when it comes to, if you say horror writing, they are going to be way down the line. The two names that are going to pop up if you talk to anyone about a horror novel, a horror book, a horror story, it's going to be either Stephen King or Dean Koontz, depending on which side they fall on. Because For me, it's uh, it's Poe and Lovecraft. Those are the guys I read. To me, it's, it's Barker and Bradbury. That is the eternal question. Because now, obviously, someone like Cecil can enjoy both Stephen King and Dean Koontz. Someone like you, Peter, you can enjoy them both. I'm not a big Dean Koontz fan, but I I like some Stephen King stuff. Either you're a Star Trek fan or you're a Star Wars fan. You know, which (laughs) side are you on? Are you King or are you Koontz? I'm both. I like both. I am much... Well, I think, for me personally, Koontz was really the one that I got into when I was younger. Uh, My sister introduced me to a lot of horror writing. Like, I, I don't remember what but you know Koontz was like the first horror writer that I really read and I l- fell in love with his stuff and I've read a lot of Stephen King stuff over the years too and I've enjoyed a lot of his stuff I the only thing about King is the my favorite books of his are often the ones that are not the horror fi- uh, horror 
books. Like I like Eyes of the Dragon. It's probably Running Man, the Running Man, the Long Walk, Road. Running Man is awesome. I I love the Bachman stuff. Yeah, uh, Thinner and uh, you know, yeah, there's great kind of dramatic horror if you want to get into it but so i mean a lot of his stuff like i also enjoy you know the shining and all that but i will say that he my my problem with king is that he'll tend to focus on like one thing it'll be like hey there's this pen and and then later on and it's like and the pen and it's just i don't know it meanders (laughs) a lot there's a lot like it really could like something like the stand really could be edited out of few hundred pages let's just uh, say the uh the miniseries was better than the book yeah i think he really i mean and then and then stuff like it with the the whole the, <laughs> the whole Bible size orgy, the orgy in the middle like oh I, jesus what the only the way heck? they could connect was to have sex with each other and they're all seven years old and the yeah. big fat kids got a big dick king what the f- Oh, right. Yeah. The cocaine. And, okay. Well, that's the thing. He now, he said he doesn't even remember writing it. And everybody pretty much is like, <laughs> yeah, we, you know what? We can believe that because you were on just mountains of cocaine at the well, time. He, does, he doesn't remember most of his stories. Like he has, he has no idea about like making maximum overdrive or any of this stuff. Well, the, it's the a combination guy... <laughs> of, the, of the drugs and also the accident. Like, right. I really think that uh, he, he took that bump on the noggin and uh, well, he just, had a, a big head injury and the drug yeah. problems and the drinking problems. So it's like, yeah, that that guy's brain is not wired the way that it should be for normal folks. So, I, but I mean, I I very much lean in the. I mean, I did a video about it a long time ago where I was talking about how uh, I don't think Kuntz ever really got the respect that he deserved as far as movies go. It was always. King, you know, would get these movies and they would have like massive budgets and big actors and Koontz's stuff was terrific, but it would always get a budget of like $5. Phantoms was yeah, the bomb, like, yo. Like the, uh, Phantoms, like, yeah, like Affleck the was the bomb and Phantoms, yo. The Watchers but, movie and Phantoms, yeah, for sure. Like, they were good, but they were they were low budget direct-to-video features. The only one, the Odd Thomas one, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, uh, you had a fantastic director and it was so good and the studio just didn't know what to do with it and they dumped it on home video and and <laughs> they didn't nearly get the audience that it should have and that was the only one i really feel they did the source material proud and it was a shame that it just it it didn't it didn't get released theatrically and i don't know what the hell the studio was thinking why you would put 50 million dollars into a movie and then just not have enough faith to put it in theaters when it comes to stephen king and dean Koontz, now i haven't read enough dean Koontz to know his tropes Wow, do you get the Stephen King tropes. Let's see, there's going to be bullies. There's going to be lots of references to 1950s music. There it's is, going to take place in Maine. It's going to take place in it's Maine. Place there's in going Maine. to be a frustrated <laughs> author. There's going to be an alcoholic in it. There's going to be spousal abuse in it. You know, the ending is not going to live up to the great buildup. The Stephen King tropes are all, as much as they get made fun of, they're made fun of for a reason. Those all do exist. I've not read enough Dean Koontz to know if he has similar tropes or not. Well, no. Dean, Dean Koontz seems to like sort of sci-fi horror. I think that's sort of his thing. Something it, It's very, it seems to be kind of, in a way, both Lovecraft-inspired and, like, cryptid-inspired. A, a sort of es- escaped experiment or kind of like a Bigfoot-style a, thing. A lost sort creature reemerges. Right. I, I think that's sort of what his thing is. There's going to be an amazing dog. Uh, <laughs> an in, amazing in, dog, in a, that's right. A well, dog that loved, can communicate. 
Well, he, he loves he his he has his dog, the golden retriever. Yes. Uh, and that is so he he's put a few amazing dogs in various books. Well, that is but, literally one of the main characters, I think, for for watchers. For watchers, I watchers, yes. watchers was based off of his dog, essentially, yeah. you know, and uh, and that's and, and like, that's awesome. Yeah, you, you know, they say write what you know, and he loved his dog. And so he wrote a book where his dog was the hero. <laughs> how, yes. how do you not love that? You know, it's awesome. But when it comes to horror, I, again, I haven't read enough Dean Koontz to know how much he strays from this, but Stephen King writes a lot of non-horror stuff. I always found that really weird that Stephen King is considered like the ultimate horror novelist. When you look at his entire bibliography, you go, yeah, maybe a third to a half of it is horror. Otherwise, there's science fiction and crime stories. And it's like, why does Stephen King get called a horror author when it's not even really half of his bi- bibliography? Because his biggest stuff is his horror stuff, like Misery, The Shining, all of those really big ones are horror. And so those are the ones. Shining, Christine. Christine, you know, yeah. yeah. They're Cujo. They're all uh, Carrie. They all are horror. They all are, you know, what he gets recognized. He doesn't, his other stuff, his stuff that he did under pseudonyms and whatnot, they just, uh, they're known but a lot of people don't know, like Stand By Me, a lot of people don't know, was based off of The Body, the uh, the short story that he did. A, a lot of his stuff, it's just, it's not as well known or it's not as recognized that that was, you know, that that was a King thing. Where do you think horror novels and horror novelists specifically fall in in pop culture of horror? Because, you know, we always say horror, the horror community and all this. There are two aspects to that. Because I think, I always hear about this, well, the horror community is like this, well, the horror community is against this. And, and those are the people like us, the people who will know Lucio Fulci and Dario Argento and all that. But you also just have people who like to watch, and I hate this term, a scary movie. Every Halloween, we're going to rent scary movie. I, I hate that term. What does a horror author mean to people who are not in the horror community? Do you think something like Clive Barker or Harlan Ellison or William Peter Blatty or something would touch somebody who's not actively seeking something like that out? Or do you think it's just better for someone like that to stick to King and Coons? I think for the average audience, uh, the people that uh, enjoy horror, but they like other stuff as well, like they don't, they're not really hardcore. Um, I think it's it's always safe to just go with the most popular, the most mainstream. Uh, and that's not to discount uh, their their writing styles. I mean, they got popular for a reason. King and, and Kuntz are very good authors. I personally just prefer Kuntz, but um, they got there because their stuff is consistently good. But uh, if you like that kind of thing, you you can delve deeper. I mean, there are tons of artists and writers out there that just put out consistently amazing material, but they're just not as well known. They're just not as big. So, but I think if you are into horror, but you're not like a super duper horror fan, it's probably safest to just go with something from King or Kuntz. If you're looking for something a little bit different, there's plenty of other authors out there that uh, you can dig into. I just think you should read whatever you find interesting. Um, If you see a title of a story 
or a title of a movie or whatever, and you think it looks cool or seems like it might be interesting, doesn't matter whether it's Dean Coons, Stephen King, H.P. Lovecraft, or Oral Stein. If you think it looks cool or interesting or creepy or whatever, give it a read. Just give it a read. That's it. And I think you should also check out the David Irons books. I legitimately think they're all really good, and he might be a horror Mm -hmm. author that in the next 10 years is going to be the next Clive Barker. Who knows? So on that note, where can people find Cecil if they want to tell him that they like Stephen King more than Dean Koontz? If you want to tell me that Stephen King is better than Dean Koontz, you're wrong. Uh, <laughs> do that over at uh, goodbadflix.com, which is currently uh, being rebuilt. It's under maintenance right now. So, uh, you know, new version 2.0 coming sometime near future. Uh, and then you can also find me at uh, goodbadflix on YouTube, goodbadflix on Twitter, Twitch, Facebook, and 1201beyond.com. Where can people find Peter just reading the weird Canadian editions of Clive Barker books? You can find me loving myself, hating myself, just being me, whatever I'm doing, on Twitter at Cinematica, Facebook updating my Cinematica show on YouTube, of course, YouTube the Cinematicist, of course, 1201beyond.com with other fine programming, and of course, on Patreon at Cinematica. And you can find me at 1201beyond.com. Contact this show at 1201beyond at gmail.com. And I honestly do want to know where you fall on the horror author debate. And also whether you bought any of David's books. Because not just because he's a friend, I would recommend his books even if he wasn't. So keep one foot in the gutter, one fist in the gold. Have a good night. Don't be-
Radiodrome is a 1201 Beyond production. Find it and other great content at 1201beyond.com.